You know, over the past couple of years, I've had some problems with my back and hips, and so I had an MRI done. And uh, MRIs are pretty amazing things. You know, if you've never had one, they kind of tell you everything uh, that's wrong with your body. And uh, so because of an MRI, I actually had hip surgery a few weeks ago. And uh, I want to let you know I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm on some pain medication. Uh, So in some sense, I'm preaching under the influence, okay, this morning. But uh, I want you to know that my mind is as clear as a bell, okay? So let's dive right in. Turn with me, if you would, in the Book of Mormon. And uh, let's... No, I'm just... You're thinking he didn't go there. Yeah, I did. No, actually, this is from the psalmist in the Bible. The psalmist wrote these words. He said, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And that verse it got me to thinking, what if there was an MRI for the soul? You know, what if you, when you came in today, everybody could see an MRI of your soul? Would attendance go up or down here at the crossing? Well, what would an MRI reveal about our hearts? Well, this morning, I think we get an opportunity, so to speak, to see the MRIs of two people's souls in the Bible. Two men who were followers of Jesus, who were with him throughout his three years of ministry, who in some sense look no different than the rest of the disciples outwardly. But during Jesus' final hours of his life, they abandoned him. See, whenever the final hours of Jesus' life are told, as we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks in the book of Mark, and I know some of you are thinking, it's Christmas time, this story doesn't seem to fit, are we ever going to get to the baby Jesus? Uh, We like Will Ferrell, we like the baby Jesus, okay? (laughs) Just come back Christmas Eve, we'll talk about the baby Jesus. But you know, whenever the trials and the crucifixion of Christ are, are told in the Gospels, so are Judas and Peter's betrayals. Their stories, I think, are just as famous, and for good reason. See, I think that their souls are put on display for us to see so that we can learn from them. Two men abandon Christ, but only one recovers. Only one truly repents. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can all think of things that we've done. We can think of sins that if we could take back, we would. If we could just live that one day or that one time period in our lives over again, we would do things differently. We all have regrets, but yet we can't go back and we can be haunted by the guilt from our past. And so the question is, is when that happens, how do we recover from failure? Well, I think both Peter and Judas can teach us some things about that. And so this morning, instead of reading the long stories from Mark chapter 14 as we usually do, I'd like for you to take a moment and watch a scene from the movie The Passion of the Christ, because I think it tells the stories well. Let's watch.
See, Jesus, on the last night of his life, was abandoned by everyone. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus, not just Peter and Judas. And if we were there, we probably would have done the same. But Judas's betrayal is the most famous, and so let's look at it. We know from the Bible that Judas went to the chief priests and the teachers of the law who were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. And he agrees to sell him to them for 30 pieces of silver. In the middle of the Last Supper, if you remember, Jesus, kind of out of the blue, says to his disciples, 
one of you will betray me. Now, they don't believe it, and they have no idea really who it would be. But when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's Judas who betrays him to the officers by going up and kissing Jesus on the cheek. And Jesus says, Judas, you betray me with a kiss. And because of Judas's betrayal, Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial and he's eventually crucified. And so the question is, is why did Judas do it? Why did he betray Jesus? What would an MRI reveal about what was really going on in his soul? Well, I think the obvious answer is greed. He loved money more than he loved Jesus, often a common sin in our lives. But I think that there's more to it than that. See, Judas, like the other disciples, realized that Christ had come into Jerusalem and he was declaring that he was the Messiah. He was declaring that he was a king. And so the authorities, those in power, decided to kill him. But instead of taking power, Jesus went around preaching and teaching and talking about his own death. And Judas knew that it was just going to be a matter of time before the authorities would kill him. In other words, he could see the writing on the wall. And so Judas thought that if he didn't side with Jesus' enemies, he was going to go down with him. And so he sold him, we're told, for 30 pieces of silver. And you know, when we hear that, we think how horrible. But the truth is, is I think that we all have a little bit of Judas in us. And here's what I mean. See, Judas, as Tim Keller and other commentators point out, is the person who follows Jesus when it profits him, but sells him when it costs. Judas follows Jesus when it looks like it will profit him. When there's a chance of gaining power or having prosperity, he's right there with Jesus. But when to follow him costs, he sells Jesus off. And if we know our own hearts well, we realize that many times I think we do the same thing. We love God for what he can get us. We use him to get us stuff. Sometimes that's the only reason we pray when we want something. We love the blessings sometimes more than we love Him, myself included. I'm convicted in just preaching this sermon to you. But do you remember Job? Satan's accusation of Job to God was that Job loved the gifts more than he loved the giver. In other words, Satan accused Job, I think, of being a Judas. He said to God, God, you've been protecting him. Take your hands off. Let me take away his health and his wealth, and let's see if Job really loves you. If you think about it, Job, for the most part, passed the test. But the question is, would we? Would we pass that test? See, I think there's a little bit of a Judas in all of us. As long as things in life are going well, we love Jesus. But when things don't go well, when life doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, 
You know, we think, gosh, Jesus, we've been following you. We've been trying to be obedient to you. And now this happened? Some health crisis? Some financial crisis? See, trials often reveal why we're following Christ. Some of you here this morning aren't really following Christ anymore because you feel like God has somehow let you down. And now you're thinking, yeah, but I, I'm, at least I'm here at church. But so was Judas, remember? He followed Christ for three years. See, maybe, just maybe, you no longer follow Christ because you love something more than you love him. And God wants you to see that. We're all tempted to sell Jesus. Judas sold Jesus, but it's how he handled his failure that I think is so critical to see. We're told that after Judas' betrayal and after the authorities decided to put Jesus to death, it says that they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And Matthew, in his account of this, tells us when Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. See, he felt sorrow over what he had done, but he didn't repent. He focuses instead only on his act of betrayal, and he seeks relief, as we saw there in the temple, as he tries to return the payoff that he got for betraying Jesus. Judas thought that he had to do something about his mistake to make up for it. And so he returned the money to the chief priests and to the elders. And he also said this. He said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And when we hear that, it sounds like repentance, doesn't it? It sounds like he's trying to repent. But he isn't. See, he never took his grief. He never took his sorrow. To God. Instead, he went to Jesus' enemies who could do nothing about his sin. And in a vain attempt to atone for his sin and to remove his guilt, he returns the blood money. He tried to make things right, but the priests won't. They can't help him. And so he threw the money on the temple floor and left. And then it says he went out and he hung himself. I think that at the end of the day, Judas was trying to manage his sin, and he was trying to manage the damage and the outcome, but by doing so, it kept him from going to Christ. See, I think that Judas thought that in some way, through his own efforts, he could save himself, and therefore he never really took his sin to God where he could find mercy and forgiveness. In his pride, he thought that he could save himself. Many people make that same mistake, and therefore they never really understand the gospel. They never really understand the importance of the cross. I think that Judas felt sorry for his sins, but he never repented. But Peter, on the other hand, is the exact opposite, okay? And, and so let's look at his story. See, I think that Peter here is the second person in the story that we kind of get an MRI of his soul. 
And so if you remember, Luke tells us in his gospel that before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples on the night of the Last Supper were having a dispute over who was the greatest, over who was the most spiritually mature. And so Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, you know, you, you think you're such a great follower of me, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Three times, Peter. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. And, and Peter, at, at that point, in saying, instead of saying, you know, Lord, you're right. You're usually right about these things. Uh, I, I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I have to trust in you, rely upon your spirit and your grace. Please help me. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, Peter says, you got the wrong guy, Lord. Not me. Everyone else might fail, but I never will. In fact, I love you more than any of these other guys. They might deny you, but I'm willing to go to my death for you. But yet later that night, Jesus is arrested and he's taken into the house of the high priest to be questioned. And Peter follows him there in the courtyard at a distance. And it's there that he's asked three times if he was a follower of Christ. And he says, I don't know him. In fact, Mark in his account of this tells us that, that Peter even calls down a curse upon himself from God if he was lying about not being a disciple. And as soon as Peter denies him the third time, Jesus comes out and he's being led across the courtyard and he turns and he looks at Peter and their eyes meet. Can you imagine what, what Peter must have felt at that point? And at that moment, the rooster crowed and Peter remembered Christ's words to him. And we're told that he went out and he wept bitterly over what he had done. He wept bitterly over what he had done. See, in a moment of crisis, he was exposed as a coward. And he was supposed to be the leader of the church. And here he fails Jesus miserably. And so just like we looked at, at Judas, what was Peter's sin? You know, was it just the sin if someone asked you if you're a Christian and you say no? Well, Peter did do that. We've all lacked courage at times. You know, the thought has, has gone through our minds. There must be a rooster crowing somewhere, right? And I think it's also true that Peter was guilty of the sin of lying. He thought that he had to lie to save himself. In fact, if you think about it, that's why any of us lie, right? You know, I think this is kind of funny, but uh, there's a book written on dishonesty that states this, written by a teacher. And he says, over the course of many years of teaching, I have noticed that there typically seems to be a rash of deaths among students' relatives at the end of the semester. It happens mostly in the week before final exams and before papers are due. Guess which relative most often dies? Grandma. Yeah, that's right. In fact, Mike Adams, a professor at Eastern Connecticut State University, has done some research on this. 
He has shown that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in class are even at a higher risk. It turns out that the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in our day ends up being their grandchildren's GPAs. The moral of all of this is that if you're a grandparent, do not let your children go to college. It will kill you, especially if he or she's not very smart. See, I think that that illustrates that the reason why we lie is because we don't think our lives will turn out well if we don't. You know, we think that we somehow have to compensate for God's lack of goodness to us if we tell the truth. That's why people lie and cheat on their taxes, right? Because they don't think God's going to be good to them. And it's true, Peter was guilty of lying, but deep down in his soul, I think that what Jesus wanted him to see at the end of the day was his pride, his sin of overconfidence. Remember, he had told Jesus that he was unique, he was better than the rest, he was very self-righteous. You know, they may fall away, but he never will. And remember, Jesus had said to him, watch and pray, Peter, so that you don't fall into temptation. But Peter neither watched nor prayed. He was so sure that he wouldn't fail Jesus. And I think that what Jesus wanted him to see was his pride. See, Jesus is looking for people who say, I am weak, and therefore I have to depend upon Christ and not myself. And if Peter was ever going to be the great leader in the church, he had to learn humility. I think Peter shows us the the folly of pride. He shows us the folly of pride and of self-reliance. But it's how he handled his failure that made all the difference. We're told that both Judas and Peter went out into the darkness Both struggled with pride, but only Peter came back into the light. In fact, because he did, we know that Peter went on to become a great leader in the early church. In fact, he wrote several books in the New Testament. And at the end of his life, when it was under Nero, when it was against the law to be a Christian, he said, I am. And he was crucified, legend has it, upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord did. And so the question is, how was Peter healed? How was he restored? Well, very simply, I think that he was healed through repentance. It's through repenting that he was restored. We're told that after Peter denied the Lord, he went out and he wept. And I think this is so important for us to get. It's so important for us to understand. See, the Bible recognizes the fact, tells us that there are two kinds of grief. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He writes this. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
See, I think that there are plenty of people who weep over their sins, and all it does is make them hate themselves because they've failed their own moral code. All they do is really focus on the mess that they've made and what their sin might cost them. That's ungodly sorrow. That's self-pity. And I think that's, that was Judas. But godly sorrow is to see that ultimately all of our sin is against God. And it's to see how much our sin hurts him. And I think that's why Peter wept. That's why Peter wept. His repentance really began there. But Peter was also healed because he took his sorrow to Christ. Remember in John chapter 21, that famous passage, Peter can't get to Jesus fast enough when he sees the risen Christ again for the first time after Jesus' death. The truth is, is when we struggle with some sin, sometimes that's the last thing we want to do. We think, gosh, i got to get my life, i got to get my act together before I can come back. I've got to clean up my life first. But Peter ran back to Christ, and he found forgiveness and was healed. And then Jesus said to him, he said, Simon, do you truly love me more than these? Do you truly love me more than these? Peter said, I just love you, Lord. I just love you. In other words, I think that Peter confessed his sin of pride to Christ. And Jesus healed him. Jesus restored him. Jesus cleansed him. See, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, because you're the biggest failure, because you're the biggest screw-up, and yet you took your sins to God and you found grace and forgiveness. Because you're the biggest repenter, you're going to be the best leader in the church because you'll be the one who's the most effective in talking with people about God's grace in your life. And we know that was true. We know that the gospel of Mark is Peter's personal account of his denial. Mark, if you might don't know, was Peter's personal secretary. And it's interesting that Peter gives us all the ugly details of his denial. He doesn't skip over anything. He doesn't hold anything back. We get more information in the book of Mark than we do in any of the other gospels. Why? Why does Peter tell us the whole story? Well, I think it's because he can talk about his past. He can be open about his sin, his failure, because he knows it magnifies God's grace to him. He knows it magnifies God's grace to sinners. He was a man who was doomed to be haunted by his past, and yet he took his sins to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And so let me close this morning by just asking you a very simple question. Are you like Peter? 
Are you like Peter? That when you think of your past and your sins, that you can smile because it reminds you of God's grace to you in Christ? Or are you more like Judas, who took his sins upon himself, who tried to make himself right with God, who tried to atone for his sin, and he ended up spending a Christless eternity? See, we all sin. We all sin. But it's what we do with our sin that matters the most. Jesus stands before us and he says to us, whether we're a Christian or not, he says, come to me, all who are weary, and find rest for your souls. As the worship team comes back up, would you pray with me? Heads bowed. This morning, I, I want to give you just a, a moment here to silently reflect and to think about the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Some of us here, if we're honest, we're a lot like Judas. We're haunted by our past and we think somehow we need to make ourselves right with God. We think that there's no way that God could forgive someone like us. Won't you take your sins to the cross and find the forgiveness and the healing that's there? Jesus says there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in him. Others of us here... We know we're loved, we know we're accepted by God, but yet by continuing to sin, by hidden sin in our lives, we know that we're trampling on God's grace to us. Would you let the love of Christ for you cause you to repent? To run back to him this morning and be cleansed? Take a moment and pray. Lord, we thank you for Peter. He's so much like us. We thank you for his example because he points us to Christ. Help us to be like him. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.